You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see Like when Bobby D says, you're talking to me Seen it all with Jeff and John Hey everybody, welcome to Seen It All with Jeff and John, the podcast where we break down our favorite scenes from our favorite movies. I'm Jeff Glover. And I'm John Zabriskie. And in this episode, we just want our truck back. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We are talking about a scene from the 1986 John Carpenter directed cult classic, Big Trouble in Little China. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here, and a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of... Magic. The darkest magic. Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. 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 They told him to go to hell. He made one move. And that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. How are you going to spring us? I have no idea. There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell. In John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's on the reflexes. Little China. Uh, this is an exciting one, John. I am excited. This is... Oh, I'm just going to dive right forward into my notes and say this is one of my formative movies growing up. This is one like... I can point to a time and place of me like, you know, sitting in the basement at home in our first house in Tennessee and watching this on HBO mm. uh, right along with such classics like uh, Invaders from Mars, the Toby Hooper joint, uh, Ghostbusters, Gremlins. What a terrible thing to watch as a kid. <laughs> um, like your Indiana, the first two Indiana Jones movies, the OT Star Wars trilogy. Mm the original trilogy, sorry to say, and some smattering of James Bond movies. Uh, you have, you know, Robocop in there, Back to the Future, uh, original Terminator, Commando, Airplane, Die Hard. But like this is just when I think of formative movies from like the 80s, this pops almost to the forefront. I think this pops up on a lot of people's lists uh, our age. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of the reason is that it's PG-13, right? And it was a movie that... Uh, like our parents were like, mm, okay, PG 13. That's <laughs> <Right>. fine. 
Um, yeah. So this was, this is a, a formative film for you. Like you'd put it up on that top shelf with those other films as, as being like influential in your childhood. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. this is a movie that just has just everything. I mean, you have the martial arts, like tying into the martial arts arts craze of the eighties. Um, we've, you know, we've talked ninja movies on someone else's podcast. <laughs> um, and you have right. The mysticism, you have this, magical element going on uh, but you also have like this kind of like body outspoken 80s action hero and kurt russell just kind of all mixed together uh to make this kind of magical blend like a real lightning in a bottle kind of movie uh, in my own mind yeah so this came out in 1986 mm-hmm. um which would have put us both around six years old seven years old when it came yeah. out um so i did not see this theatrically because i was no too small too little but um uh like a lot of people i saw this um either on home video or cable i'm pretty sure it was running on hbo mm-hmm. um and like i said this was a, a pg-13 movie so it was one that you know, when you're having sleepovers at your friend's house or, um, you know, you're just uh, after school watching something on TV. It was one that was deemed okay because it, it wasn't uh, – had a lot of fighting, but it wasn't bloody. wasn't gory. Um, but anyway, I saw this a lot as a kid and I, I just kind of remember it sort of off and on, like seeing bits and pieces. And I like there's certain scenes that are definitely like burned into my mind. Um, but as I got older, I always, I kind of just remembered it as like this wacky movie from my youth. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was a big chunk of time where I, I did not rewatch it. Um, probably like all throughout my teenage years and into my twenties. Um, I did not rewatch it during that time. And, uh, much, much later, I, it was when Netflix first moved to a streaming service. I remember Mm -hmm. that, uh, big trouble in little China was on there as a, as a streaming option. And I kind of rediscovered it at that time. Mm-hmm. And um, I had so much fun rewatching it. And and then as I got older and I, I became a little more um, interested in like the action movies of my youth and going back and rewatching a lot of 80s movies and kind of rediscovering a lot of John Carpenter films, I really looked at it differently once I kind of made the connection that, oh, this is a Russell Wilson, John Carpenter joint. Um, and it's... It's really fun to look at did, it. Did you say Russell Wilson? Did I say Russell Wilson? <laughs> I think you mean Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and it's the second episode where I've screwed up the name of something. Uh, John Carpenter, Kurt Russell joint. And uh, it's fun to look at this in comparison to the other Carpenter, Kurt Russell movies they've made together. Because um, mm-hmm. it's quite a bit different. But... Um, Anyway, I, I I really had fun rewatching this again, and uh, and yeah, I'm I'm super stoked to talk about it. And it's right in there in kind of the John in the John Carpenter like list of home run movies. He had just like this incredible run of movies in the '80s. I'm sure we'll talk about that more later. But um, yeah, this sits in there as as one of the greats. Oh, for, for sure. And I mean, just talking about its place in 1986 Uh, 1986 pretty solid movie year and i would say this is a reminder that in the 80s like the movies that made a lot of money were more geared towards adults i would Mm. say you have like top gun which could 
and did definitely appeal to like the kid, you know, the kids in the crowd. It was, you know, a favorite of mine growing up, but like Crocodile Dundee, maybe towards the kids, definitely with a lot of adult humor. Platoon, definitely yeah. more of an adult movie. Karate Kid Part 2, I'm seeing that in theater. Uh, so yeah, I would say more, it has kid in the title, but like Star Trek 4, that's probably more for the Trekkie adults. Yeah. Back to School, definitely more for the adults. <laughs> aliens for sure but you know that's one that kids would sneak into or sneak a peek on cable yeah yeah uh the golden child which is often pointed to as being kind of the downfall partly of this movie big trouble in little china Mm. because you have these two parallel movies of you know asian mysticism and golden child just happened to be in eighth place at the box office that year while big trouble in little china was 71st <laughs> yeah what a crime yeah yeah you know speaking of that i there was a, a part of me that was a little uh, worried going back to revisit this mm-hmm. um, i was just i was a little nervous that it wasn't going to hold up and that the kind of the asian culture and and the the fact that it was in Chinatown was was going to come across the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that to not be the case at all. No. And I was actually, my wife was kind of in and out of the room as I was rewatching this. And, um, and even she afterwards was, was like, I, I th- was afraid that it was going to be racist, but no. she no. was like, it's not at all. It's very good natured. It's, you know, you have these Chinese characters that have mysticism and magic, but that's because it's a fantasy adventure. You know, it's not unlike other Kung Fu movies that were made, you know, in China decades ago. It, you know, it's actually kind of an homage to that type of film, um, which we'll, we'll see when we break down the scene later. But um, I was pleasantly surprised to find that it, it really did hold up as just a fun fantasy adventure. And really the main character is Dennis Dunn. <laughs> like he's yeah. really the main character. Uh, he's the one that actually does all the fighting and, and Jack Burton is kind of the American buffoon in the movie. Yeah. But um, yeah, that was a, I was a, a pleasant uh, rewatch there that I, I those uh, worries did not realize. Yeah. It's, it's totally a, credit to John Carpenter who actually made changes to the script. Like the biggest change being changing it from an old West meets Chinese mysticism to like a modern movie. I'm mm. um, going through those paces and that kind of environment. Uh, but yeah, uh, John Carpenter went on also to rewrite the script to take out, um, you know, more typical or stereotypical Asian references or more offensive things. And from everything I hear from interviews, I heard over and over again on uh, the podcast, five minutes of trouble, which breaks down the movie five minutes at a time. Hey, Oh, just over and over the Asian actors would talk about how sensitive John Carpenter was to uh, the portrayal of the Asian actors. John Carpenter was really amazing because he really reached out to the cast and crew, and he really asked for all of us to put in our input. Just how respectful he was. Uh, clearly, he's making an homage, like you said, to these Hong Kong, Hong, uh, Hong Kong sorry, uh, to these Kung Fu movies yeah. um, with you know the mystical elements, and he was being respectful. He was all the time asking the actors, asking his main fight choreographer, uh, James Liu, uh, for you know the appropriate moves or uh, the appropriate shots um, to be capturing on film. 
And yeah. so, yeah, it, it, it absolutely uh, is is that sensitive um, in portraying Asians. And they, like you're saying, uh, that Asian people in the movie are the heroes. They're the primary, you know, protagonists and antagonists going at it. And Kurt Russell is just the sidekick. He's just kind of <laughs> he's on just the thrown side. in there. Yeah, yeah, he's just <laughs> thrown in. He just wants his truck back, like you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um... Yeah, I I really kind of had a new appreciation for it, rewatching it through that lens. Um, it was it's you know that's the whole attitude of the film is that it it doesn't take itself too seriously. There's it's a comedy as much as it's an action movie, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it blends the two I think pretty perfectly. Um, I love I love the tone. They get the tone just right, and that's not always easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, to blend comedy into your genre film. Um, you know, I, I talk about uh, horror movies a lot. And one of my favorite subgenres of horror is the horror comedy. And I think it's because it's so hard to get it right. Um, right. There are so many bad ones out there that when a good one comes along, it's like you grab onto that gem. And I think this is a great example of an action comedy that mm-hmm. blends those two tones, you know, just about perfectly. Yeah, I think I think along the same lines, uh, something I've thought about some of my favorite whatever fill in the blank genre slash comedy is that a really good uh, send up of something from that genre also should really be a good example of something in that genre. So if you have something like a Hot Fuzz, which is definitely mm. a send up of like action movies and buddy cop movies, yeah, it's making fun of those, but it's also really good action buddy right, movie right this is like making fun kind of of the kung fu movies but it's also like a really good kung fu movie right like just, right yeah it's so, so so it plays that role really well and I, I wanted to ask you along those lines if we can just kind of jump into the credits here with john carpenter especially the, the director mm-hmm. and part writer of this um is this the only thing tied to comedy he's ever done that is a Good question. Um, I'm not seeing a lot of comic kind of movies like Assault on Precinct 13. No, no. Uh, you know, thing, the, no. The only one uh, of his, I think that might be in there is memoirs of an, of an invisible man. Oh, okay. Uh, which had, I believe Chevy chase was in that, but it was yes. kind of a comedy, but also kind of a drama. And mm-hmm. um, I've actually never seen it, um, but I, Me I've, neither. Yeah, but I've heard that some, I, I've heard people say it's, it kind of got panned, but upon rewatching it's, it's better than people give it credit for, but I can't speak to that myself, but yeah, I think you're right. I mean, this is, well, (laughs) you could say, I'm thinking, yeah, same thing. Escape from LA. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, wait a second. I just saw that last year. (laughs) Funny movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but that's a, that's a, a type of, quote unquote funny movie that is not overtly funny, right? Like right. um I don't think people knew if he was trying to be funny or not when they saw that movie the first time, which is I think why it failed miserably. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that would be the only two times I think that he has really kind of dipped his toe into comedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of his uh run of films, if if I can just uh indulge myself for a moment. Oh, please, please. The the run from the late seventies into the late eighties of John Carpenter, I think might be one of the great genre film runs runs of all time. And I mean, you've got assault on precinct 13. Um, and then, but then he really, you know, Halloween was, was really what 
kind of propelled him to the forefront and made him famous. And then he went on and did The Fog, another horror movie, um, and Escape from New York, um, both fairly successful, but not huge hits, but fairly successful. And then he and then he made The Thing, which is like my favorite horror movie of all time, but it was a box office bomb. Um, and then he makes Christine, a Stephen King adaptation, and then he makes Starman, which is more of a serious movie. Um, and I believe Jeff Bridges was nominated for an Oscar in that film. Mm. And then he's like, okay, I made my serious movie. Let's get back to having fun. And he makes Big Trouble in Little China. Right. Um, and uh, I know that he had issues with studios. And I, you know, his movies w- were had varied success, right? Some a lot, some not very much. The Thing was a massive bomb. Um, and so I think some studios shied away from John Carpenter after that. So he had to release movies after that on an independent uh, studio, I think. Um, and anyway, he does Prince of Darkness, They Live, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, In the Mouth of Madness. He does more movies after that, but I stopped there because I think that run is pretty incredible because um, I like almost all these movies, uh, Halloween, The Fog, Escape from New York, The Thing, Christine, Starman, Big Trouble, Prince of Darkness, and They Live, and mm-hmm. In the Mouth of Madness are all pretty great in their own right. So anyway, I know we all know John Carpenter is awesome, but uh, I think it's mm-hmm. worth reflecting on kind of what a spectacular run of movies that is. Oh, of course, of yeah. course. Just, yeah, um, and and I'm kind of, I don't know, maybe a little bit different than you in that I'm coming really late in the game, more like in the last few years of really appreciating him. Yeah. Rewatching things like The Thing and I've always loved They Live, but yeah. other things like Assault on Precinct, Precinct 13, you know, revisiting Escape from New York and then watching L.A. for the first time. Yeah, I just just love his his feel in the movies, like just when you're watching his movies, you feel like you're right there. It's he, he's, he's someone who really masters. I feel like just you being in that atmosphere and experiencing the same thing, whether it's the comedy of big trouble in little China or like the terror of the thing, like, or, yeah. or just like the overall kind of like angry confusion of they live. It's like, you're, you're right there. <laughs> and I think all the time when you're watching a lot of these movies, you're thinking like, what would I do? What would I do? How would I like escape this kind of situation? Yeah, and and with no time wasted either. I'm always impressed mm-hmm. by what an efficient filmmaker he is. Like the stories, once one of the best things about his movies is that they just don't stop moving. You right. know, I can't think of a whole lot of places in his films where I'm bored. Um, right. the, it's always every scene has a purpose. Um, you know, everything moves on to the next scene that makes sense. Um, it's not flashy filmmaking. It's not like a Tarantino or, or even a Scorsese. Um, but it's it's just solid and efficient, and uh, and that along with the scores, a little time, which he writes most of the time, uh, just makes for like you said, just an awesome atmosphere and ambiance in his movies. Mm-hmm. Just, mm. Yeah, L- love that Carpenter score, and that is just beating all throughout um, our scene discussion today um i I figure we'll just kind of use the credits up top here to kind of reference back while we're talking about the scene if we want to talk about you know our main players or other people or the cinematography for example sure sure so um 
So let's talk about the scene a little bit, because I don't think I actually introduced what the scene was. <laughs> I don't think I did either. <laughs> so we are going to talk about uh, the wedding scene near the climax of the film. If you are looking for timestamps, this is going to be about uh, one hour and 19 minutes and 37 seconds into the movie is uh, our start time. And we're going to end right around uh, one hour and 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. That th- I guess that would be the moment. The beginning moment is when, uh, Dennis Dunn stabs the little floating eye creature all the way up until uh, Kurt Russell uh, and Kim Cattrall get into the elevator. Do I have that yep. right? Yep. Okay. I sadly accidentally deleted our text thread that I had alive for, I think, the past three plus years. Oh, no. <laughs> kind of bummed about that. But yeah, I, I, was, I was realizing, oh, I, I recognize that that wording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, tell us why you chose this scene, John. This was your choice. Uh, and and maybe kind of go over what's at stake here in the story. Sure, yeah. Um, thanks for the, the handoff there. Appreciate <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, this is what I kind of dub the battle royale. And um, I think other people might call it that. Uh, the ba- I, I would maybe officially title it the battle royale at the Great Arcade. Mm. And I'll talk about arcades later on. Uh, but I chose, well, first off, I chose the movie just because like I said, it was a formative movie to me. It's one that mixed a lot of cool genres. And like you and I have been saying, it did it really well. Uh, and you have just magician's touch uh, of John Carpenter directing um, and directing sensibly. Uh, so <laughs> not something that we're going to look back on and say, ooh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I really chose this scene from the movie because it really captures all of our main and side characters in the movie that we've really met in that we care about, whether it's on the good side, like Jack Burton, Wang Chi, Egg Shen, Miao Yin, Gracie Law, uh, and then the bad guys like Lo Pan and the Three Storms, Thunder, Rain, Lightning, and of course, a couple of the notable bad guys, Al Leong and Gerald Okamura, and, and then we wrap up things with the, the sewer monster or the Chinese <laughs> wild man. Yeah, just, just everything's really coming to a head in this scene, uh, and the segment that I wanted to <laughs> start uh, it was called what's at stake in this scene. So what's the big deal with this scene? Like what, what's hinging on the outcome of the scene. And I actually borrowed some of this wording from the wing Kong exchange, uh, which is run by Josh Horowitz, who also runs the five minutes of trouble podcast where they break down the movie five minutes at a time. I can't remember if I mentioned that earlier recording, but he does. And here's how it he kind of put the stakes into perspective. A young man, a king, a warrior, trapped in an old man's crippled body, interested in Wang's girlfriend, Miao Yin, for her green eyes. Apparently, if he can marry a girl with green eyes, he can appease the gods and welcome and become flesh again. Then he can rule the universe from beyond the grave. <laughs> so, Egg Shen, Jack, Wang, and the Chang Sing have to stop the wedding. Right. And I like how you put this as a battle royale, because this is when all the characters in the movie really are in the same place at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody's fighting each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, this is the culmination here. So um, we have to stop this wedding so that uh, the souls of, I assume the souls of these uh, green eyed women are going to be, uh, ruined or destroyed, or they'll be st- stuck in this uh, magical world forever if we can't stop this wedding. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you, I've seen this movie so many times, but it's still kind of uh, hazy to me what the <laughs> <Right>. exact <laughs> what the exact stake is. I just know that <laughs> Lopan marrying these girls is bad, right? 
but then we find out he does marry them in the beginning of this scene, <laughs> or at least marries Meowian. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, all right. Well, without further ado, should we uh, jump into the scene? Let's do it. Okay. So we've broken this down into three parts. So I'll go ahead and just give a little synopsis here of each part, and then we can <laughs> discuss. And I laugh because this is a battle royale, and if you're trying to give a blow by blow for a gigantic battle. It's kind of tough to make sure you're not saying everything that happens, but also make sure you have like the important things in there. Yeah. Yeah. And punch, kick, punch, kick, punch, kick, flip, stab. Right. Right. And full disclosure, John does a great job of, of writing these, uh, these, uh, these little, uh, synopsis. Um, thank you. And, uh, yeah, and and so we we kind of it's going to seem wordy. If I was you, if you really want to um, kind of understand fully what's happening in the scene, go go watch it real quick. It's only it. five minutes long, mm-hmm. uh, but I'll, we'll try to give a, a decent synopsis here and break down the parts as we see them. So, mm-hmm. uh, okay, part one: Wang Chi stabs Lo Pan's floating spy creature between the eyes. Lo Pan yells something to his Wing Kong soldiers who all turn to see Egg Shen and company. Jack Burton yells, look out, guys! Look out, guys! Gracie and Meow. Meow? Yeah, it's Meow. 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 Like the cat. <laughs> right, Meow. Uh, <laughs> Gracie. <laughs> meow! Oh, that's, uh, that's a whole nother movie to talk about um yeah gracie and meow wake up from the trance the wing kong and chang sing draw the weapons and scream jack yells and shoots the archway above him which knocks him out <laughs> and the wing kong and uh chang sing charge at each other fight ensues Gracie says, no way, chops a priest off the platform. Egg Shen throws a magic bomb, which springboards a bunch of Wing Kong. Wang runs up an arch to kill a Wing Kong. Jack then wakes up. Lo Pan <laughs> knocks Gracie off the platform, and Lo Pan tries to draw more blood from Yao Yin. Whew. Ooh, so poetic. And that first part, a lot of action happens, and that's we're talking about a, like a, about a minute of action right there. Yeah, yeah, it's I, yeah. it's very quick cuts, and we it's it's fun because they're trying to establish what all these different characters are doing in the battle royale, mm-hmm. um, and I'm actually kind of impressed at how well they keep the geography of the room. Um, somewhat easy to follow. I mean, there's certain times when it feels a little chaotic, but um, mm-hmm. I, I felt like the whole time watching this, I could kind of understand where everybody was. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's such a, like a well-designed space and, and yeah, it would be easy to use modern techniques and totally lose the audience, like with kind of close-ups and like shaky cam. But uh, I feel like the way they're filming it was just being able to pull back so you can see just enough action for those couple seconds and then cut to the next thing, cut to the next showdown or battle. Like you do know what everybody's going through, at least in terms of main characters. And I think part of that, I didn't even put that in the notes is that I think they only have four or five Chang Sing, like the yellow Mm. uh, clothed guys taking on. If I look ahead to the wing Kong, all waving their weapons in the air, taking on something like maybe 40 or 50 wing Kong. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't think I'd ever noticed that until I watched this scene just you know frame by frame and i thought well that's like 
that's like playing with the GI Joes back in the day and like, okay, there's going to be five good guys and 45 <laughs> bad guys. And the good guys, of course, are going to win. Well, that's what, uh, you know, that's what Egg Shen's magic bombs come in handy for because he throws that bomb and like 20 guys go flying off springboards into the air. Yes. With the a air big ramps, I think. Gloom of smoke. Yeah. yeah. But near the beginning of this sequence, I, I, Love this joke that they do because it's really like a microcosm of uh, Jack Burton's character sort of dialed down into this one moment. It just sort of explains his role in this film perfectly. And he gets all excited. He's got his gun uh, and fires it at the ceiling and those chunks of concrete fall down on his head and Mm -hmm. knock him out right as the fight ensues. And it's such a funny moment. And then the fight begins and then they cut back to just show him laying on the ground, (laughs) surrounded by the concrete chunks with people sort of milling all about around him. I I find that hilarious every single time. It's, It's, again, one of the great kind of comic timings in this movie that works perfectly. Yeah, it's, 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 it's akin to like, you know, being in the bathroom and like all this action is happening and you come out and it's just like, what, like, right. where'd the bus go? Where'd everybody go? Like, right. whoa, I missed all the excitement. <laughs> I was in the bathroom, guys. <laughs> but instead, yeah, he knocks himself out and he's just on the ground. I love that cut shot to him. Just literally laying there yeah, among the rubble. You can see his breathing. So you're like, okay, he's fine, but nobody's going to bother with him. <laughs> right. And that's the funny thing too, is no one bothers to go over there and like finish him off. They just let him <laughs> lay there. <laughs> You're not even part of this movie, dude. Right. Now, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this, but both of us watched this movie and this scene with the um, director commentary turned on. Mm-hmm. And uh, the comment, if anyone out there has never listened to the commentary of this film, I highly recommend it. It's, it's yeah. John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. And they talk through the whole film. Yeah. Um, and they definitely go off on tangents at times. Um, but you can tell they're great friends. And one of my favorite parts of the commentary is actually when that happens, when Jack Burton gets knocked out, <laughs> Kurt Russell is laughing hysterically. He thinks it is so funny. And I love that about Kurt Russell, that he he completely understood this character. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there might there be other actors out there that wouldn't want to do that. They wouldn't want to, you know, that self-deprecating humor uh, might not be mm-hmm. their style. Like I don't see Stallone agreeing to doing something like that or maybe not even Arnold Schwarzenegger, but uh, yeah, he just, uh, he found it to be so funny in that commentary. And I, I love that about him. It's great. Yeah. The other two choices I saw up for Jack Burton were Jack Nicholson and Clint Eastwood. Now that is not, oh. that was, are not Carpenter's ideas. Carpenter wanted Russell. Yeah. Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> From day one, but the studio was really pushing for a bigger name. Um, I think what I read is that once uh, Carpenter was able to prove that Nicholson and Eastwood were unavailable, you know, in quotes, <laughs> for this kind of movie, then he could uh, follow through and um, go with Kurt Russell. And yeah, I don't see those other two guys just knocking themselves out of the movie, literally, just for uh, bits at a time and not even being the hero, the main hero of the movie. No, what a weird, how weird weirdly different that the movie would be with either of them as the lead. Yeah. Like Like, those are just like a couple menacing dudes. Like Jack Burton, Kurt Russell is not about the menace. He's, he's like, if you watch the movie front to back, like he's just like having a good time. He's 
being nice to people. He's, you know, he'll, he'll jib jab like with other people, but he seems to have a good respect for Wang and even, you know, Gracie and Eddie and Margo and Egg Shen and Uncle Chu. He's just like, yeah, I'm just here to, like you're saying, get my truck back. Yeah, he always seems exasperated, like the way that you would be if you can't find your keys or something. Right. You know, like he's just like, God, okay, now we got to go down into the mystical dungeon of this place and try to find right. my truck. Like, And he's going to do it. That's the cool thing. There's, <laughs> right. there's never a hesitation from him in the movie of like, oh, we're going to go and fight this thousands of year old cursed man and his army like okay we're gonna do it <laughs> let's let's all take a hit which by the way i think the guys had some you know whatever five demon bag uh on their commentary like i could swear like you can hear carpenter just uh huffing away like when kurt is talking it's pretty funny <laughs> yeah so like, oh yeah she's pretty happy yeah. I, th- I think i just saw some other review or interview on they live where uh john carpenter's like yeah i just want to i just want to stay at home play video games and smoke pot because <laughs> <laughs> he's so well established like he's not having to work yeah again. he doesn't so, have hey. to work anymore yeah absolutely Good. not Good hey him. man uh more power to you john carpenter can i come over one time <laughs> exactly <laughs> play some cool games uh i, I do want to dip into a little bit of the historical representation here too please yeah i think that's a really cool piece to this yeah and a side recommend because we we're talking about the chang sing and the wing kong right uh these are really extreme versions of what are known as these chinese organizations called tongs like t-o-n-g hmm. um i hadn't heard about this before until i actually started watching something i'll side recommend here in a moment uh but from wikipedia i picked this up it says san francisco was the home of the first tong in the united states it formed in reaction to the hostility that chinese immigrants faced from american workers upon their arrival to america so if you know like your history around the 1900s early 1900s we have you know lots of chinese immigrants coming in and um it was to the point where some lawmakers were just like so afraid of losing jobs and losing economy to these immigrants that they would sign into law these things called like the exclusion act where they're limiting how many chinese people companies could hire to build a railroad or to log the forests like just just truly despicable behavior on on our parts as as uh, as turn of the century america and one of the ways they defended themselves and support each other was forming these organizations called tongs and if you want to go the extreme version, then you're looking at people like the Wing Kongs mm. and the Chang Sing, who represent these collections of people uh, who are protecting each other, and they're right still in the American economy and and the neighborhoods. They're just kind of grouping together really to uh, protect themselves from right the outside. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, and if, if if you want to. Um, see something more modern, like right now, like 2018, 2019 kind of era being produced. But from that time period, I would highly recommend seeing uh, this TV series Warrior, which I found on HBO Max. It's following Chinese immigrant um, going through this kind of uh, Tong initiation. And then he's kind of fighting for the uh, Tong Association. Uh, I forget what he's part of, but um, sorry to interrupt, but is it in this time period, the early 1900s? Yeah, in the 1900s in San Francisco. So I was like, I can't believe I just kind of fell into this side recommend that like directly ties to what we're watching. It's just something I saw on HBO Max. And I said, I want to watch that and without watching a preview. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the 
kind of realistic, but also kind of sensationalized, like over-sexualized a little bit <laughs> uh, version of like what you're seeing with the Chang Sing and the Wing Kong. Like if you like those battles and those ideas of like those families slash organizations going at it, check that out. Um, and then the last little bit of trivia I'll give is that um, the Chang Sing Wing Kong rivalry is supposedly analogous comparative to the Hip Sing and the On Leong in early 20th century New York City. And I did do an extra research on them. If I had time, I would have, but that's not what we're doing today. That's okay. You, your research is thorough and detailed <laughs> as always, John Zabriskie. Thank so, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is super interesting. And I had no idea that that sort of that loose organization um, was, was based on a, a real occurrence. So uh, I am now educated. Yeah, no, this is just fascinating, yeah. fascinating stuff. So, yeah, if you kind of like the more realistic of angle, feel, yeah, go. I, I encourage anybody to do some research on uh, tongs. And uh, I imagine there are tongs like in our own local international district here in Seattle. Yeah. Um, used to be called Chinatown. Now it's international district. And if you go to the Wikipedia page, and one of my favorite things to do is go to the talk section of a Wikipedia page where it's like behind the scenes, people are arguing about what should be in the article. <laughs> like you see, you see some arguments about tongs being gangs. So that's why I hesitate to call them mm-hmm. gangs because they're more, I think, originating with that idea of protecting each other against like a highly racist society that they're right. entering into. Right. Hey, another reason why this movie is uh, pro Asian culture and uh, not anti. Right. <laughs> um, very cool. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, all right. So, to get back to our, our scene here, was there any other bits and pieces from this section that you wanted to highlight before we went on to the next part? Oh, I, ca- I would be remiss if I didn't talk about. Um, Wang running up that arch. Oh, please. Oh my God. I love that. Every single time I'm like, he ran up the fucking arch. <laughs> like every time. And it oh, looks, yeah. I can't figure out how they did it. It looks so smooth. Um, I mean, it's not a single continuous shot. There is mm-hmm. a cut there, but um, man, it looks so good. And this is also the moment when we realize, when we really realize like what a warrior uh, Wang is like he he goes from being like he's demonstrated that he's a good fighter but we get to this scene and we realize that he's like off the charts like super fighter mm-hmm. and I think the first time you really kind of see that is when he runs on that arch and you're like whoa um, I just think that's a just such an awesome little detail that they didn't have to throw in and it probably took some time to make work but it's such a fun little piece to this scene. There's so many things like that in this scene where just these little details, these fun little, almost they feel like throwaway shots, but they're not because, you know, they took a lot of time to set up and create um, that just add to the the fun and the magicalness, if that's a word um, (laughs) of what's going on here. And, And so that's, that's one of my favorite little bits from this section. Yeah. Part, part of this interview uh, with James Liu, who's the fight coordinator for this movie, and also like the weapon chooser, I found out, and uh, mm. he had just like this huge role, one of like the unsung heroes of this movie. Mm. Um, he also played the 
leader of the Chang Sing, kind of like the unofficial leader of the Chang Sing. He's the guy who has the most face time. He's the guy who takes out Al Leong later on mm. uh, in this fight. But he, in this interview, was talking about how they did that shot. He was explaining that for the first part where Wang is running up the arch, like he's his stuntman is like actually, you know, makes it three steps before they have to cut right there. Mm. And the next thing to cut to, I believe, is the inverted version of that. Like they built the thing and had him run and shot it upside down. Oh, they shot sense. it upside down. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to tell like, okay, is that accurate right there? Because he yeah, in that shot, I believe somehow, I think they have that flipped upside down. So he's running on the arch, but he's actually right side up, right? Uh, and they just flipped the shot. And the other guy who he slices, I, I think, if I remember, is kind of like hanging from the ceiling by his feet. Got it. Yeah, with with wires, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, what a and it's that's the thing is it's edited together so well. It it if you blink, it looks like it's one continuous shot. You know. Oh yeah. It's so it's so well done. I love it so much. Yeah, you're like I must. I must learn that. I must. <laughs> I must drink from the five demon bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, all right. Did you have anything else from this little section to chat about? Um, I guess I'll mention the hand salute. James Liu also talks about the him coming up with the hand salute that oh so famous hand salute the uh, the guys in yellow all have for each other. Oh yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I put that as a picture at the end of the notes. Uh, it's actually based on an actual. <laughs> a martial arts hand salute from the Bach May or the white eyebrow hmm. uh, style of fighting. And if you scroll down at the bottom, I uh, post pictures of all the people, uh, some yellow uh, guys, some red guys, uh, and the three storms themselves with their actor names. Yeah. Just for, just for identification. So you can see James Lou um, and Jim Lau. And you can see George Chung, who's also low pan stunt double. Leon. That should be our new secret handshake to each other. Oh, it is is so cool. Like I've done that. Like my brother Aaron, uh, you know, growing up, it was probably a formative movie somewhat for him and too. So we would occasionally do that to each other. Like that's awesome. There you go. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, all right, let's get to the next part of this scene. If you're ready, let's do it let's take on part two of battle royale all right again a lot happening here so bear with us folks um part two wang and rain begin their face-off with wang flipping through the battle and rain jumping to the other side followed by some sword fighting between them a chang sing takes out notable bad guy gerald okumura the same guy who fired the six shooters in the opening fight Mm-hmm. Jack is about to shoot Lopan, but then Thunder grabs his gun and shatters it. Again, one of my favorite little bits that yeah. we'll talk about. Uh, Egg Shen throws a magic bomb that sends Thunder flying into the upper levels. Rain continues his fight with Dennis Dunn's stunt double. Jack tries to switch to a knife to throw at Lopan before a costumed warrior tries to attack Jack. And Jack counters by strapping a knife to his foot and stabbing the warrior with the foot knife. Rain and Wang fly through the air uh, to sword fight. Egg Shen fires uh, what may be a magic rocket at the blood-drinking Lopan, which blows a hole in the giant statue. Wang and Rain continue their jumping sword fight. Jack struggles with the dead warrior. Egg Shen and Lopan begin a proxy magical warrior battle with their dueling magics. 
and the battle apparently ending in a draw, Lopan saying, You never could beat me, Egg Shen. You never could beat me, Egg Shen. Whew. I know. Battles and battles, and there's like battles inside of battles. So I, I think the main thing to take away from this section of the Battle Royale <laughs> is that this is when we see the the three storms really make their presence known, and we see them fighting, um, mm-hmm. which is always a welcome sight because these guys are always fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, and let's just dive into that real quick because um, I know you have some facts, some personal oh, yeah. experience with their inspiration. These are... Uh, the Three Storms played by, let me run down here, uh, James Pax, who plays Lightning, the guy who shoots Lightning. Mm. Peter Kwong, named Rain, which we never see any rain, but we see him, I guess, blow some uh, red ball object at uh, Jack Burton earlier on in the movie. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. And then there's Carter Wong, a uh, guy who trains Hong Kong police uh, apparently from the notes who's playing thunder. The guy whose ability is to like breathe in really deeply and expand his body (laughs) sometimes fatally Uh, sometimes (laughs) sometimes, Uh, but these guys, these three storms as they're called in the movie. And it's so cool to have three dragons. I mean, can't get any better than having three like secondary bad guys. Like why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. But these guys are apparently copies of the three assassins and Kozure Okami, uh, also known as lone wolf and cub. Uh, And I attached the picture there because I found uh, this picture online of uh, the three assassins from lone wolf and cub. Lo and behold, like the biggest thing that pops out are those hats, those mostly, Ob, not obtuse, obscure, no, opaque hats with like kind of the venting in the f- front so they can see through. Yeah. Th- and this picture shows that they really are almost an exact copy of these three characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you said, this is from a series of movies called Lone Wolf and Cub. These were made in the 70s. Um, apparently they were based on um, a series of ma- uh uh, uh, series, sorry, series of manga novels um, of the same name, and they adapted them to a film, and they were quite popular um, in uh, Chinese markets um, in the seventies. Now, I've never seen the Lone Wolf and Cub movies. I've heard they're super cool. It's the basic premise, I believe, uh, from what I understand, is that our main character, the Lone Wolf. Um, his wife is murdered and he's left with his young, um, not quite infant son, but a very, very young son who he pushes around in a stroller and he takes this, his baby and the stroller and pushes them across the land, getting revenge on the, um, injustice done to his wife. Um, and, uh, I Like I said, I've never seen the Lone Wolf and Cub movies, but I have seen a movie called Shogun Assassin. And now Shogun Assassin is a movie that was created from the Lone Wolf and Cub movies. So uh, apparently at some point, someone realized that there was some element of these movies that would be desirable in American markets. But they did not want to release all five or six of these films that exist. So what they did is they took the first one and the second one, and they took parts of the first one and almost all of the second one and re-edited them together 
into a movie that they titled Shogun Assassin. Hmm. They added English dubbing. Um, they changed some of the narration. Um, and they released it kind of as a grindhouse kung fu movie in the American markets. And um, it was it became kind of a, a, a grindhouse cult classic because it's extremely violent. Um, and it, you can see its influence. It's been cited by Quentin Tarantino's or been cited by Quentin Tarantino as one of his kind of favorite exploitation movies of the 70s and 80s. Um, and it was definitely a direct influence on kill bill when when you see the the famous kill bill fight with the uh what are they called the 88 um, yeah yeah crazy 88 crazy 88 and and you have that classic the slice of the katana followed by blood spraying everywhere that is directly from shogun assassin or lone wolf and cub that's that's a technique or a, a an image they use over and over again in those movies um there's also a reference to shogun assassin at the very end of kill bill you see our main character um kiddo beatrix kiddo when she reunites with bill and meets her daughter they are shown in bed watching a movie, but you can't see what the movie is, but you can hear it. And what you're hearing is the narration from the very beginning of Shogun Assassin. Um, yeah. So it's kind of worked its way into popular culture. You know, Tarantino really likes it. And uh, in recent years, it's been re-released on Blu-ray and has kind of gotten a little bit of a resurgence um, as this kind of insane, uh, you know, kind of grindhouse Kung Fu movie from the seventies. Um, but this, the story is straightforward and doesn't make a lot of sense. Cause they like edited all the pieces together to, to make it. But in terms of just like kind of watching this over the top, uh, you know, samurai Kung Fu movie, um, it's super, super fun. So I, I highly recommend Shogun Assassin. There's my, my little side recommend. Ooh. So sorry, that was kind of a long uh, tangent, but uh, it just got me when, when I saw that in your notes, it got me thinking about Shogun Assassin. I hadn't seen it in many years. And so I got excited to talk about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of uh, people in the general population probably know a little bit more about, lone wolf and cub because of mandalorian mando mm. taking care of little baby yoda on his uh, adventures to find right. baby yoda um, right. a, a true home yeah that's a good uh, parallel yeah 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 um all right so back to our, our our scene here um like we said we've got all the the three storms coming in um what do you want to talk about first what's uh maybe your your favorite appearance of a storm character here what do you think uh, I think I'm like you. I really like thunder bringing the noise and shattering uh, <laughs> the, the, the the tech nine. That and, really is uh, great. His face is just so perfect when he does that. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's kind of has an angry face, but he's like also that's like his business, like smashing things face. I'm watching it right now. Right. Is like he's he's he he never he never looks away from Jack Burton. That's what's like so business about it. He's like, this is your gun. I'm smashing it. I'm gonna say ah as I do it. Right. And uh, and then I love the follow up of like, there's no way you know, there's no way Jack Burton's gonna be able to take him on. So let's have like a Deus Ex magic bomb from Egg Shin, which yeah. blows storm or blows thunder 
off the air ramp, way up into the balcony, and he just disappears until uh, the end of the fight. Well, once again, Jack Burton is being saved by the people around him because he can't really actually do anything. (laughs) His one weapon that he had, because he doesn't have any magical powers or Kung Fu skills, was his gun, and now that's been destroyed. So Mm -hmm. where does that leave him? (laughs) Uh, But we do see... uh, Egg Shen fire the rocket. We see Lopan do this kind of, I don't know what that is. It's like, it's almost like he's going to block it with his crossed arms. I don't know. What, what do you make of that scene? Uh, you mean when he, uh, oh yeah. When he puts his hands up like that and just kind of stands still. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a little odd myself. Uh, but yeah, maybe that's him like channeling his, his sort of magical powers. That's going to, sort of block anything that comes his way. That's what mm-hmm. I took that to be. But yeah, I, I noticed that too. It sort of seemed uh, a little passive for him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then um, again, kind of paralleling, uh, I don't know, it's just, I guess concurrently going on at the same time as the, the, the sword sky fight, we could call it is uh, they just, yeah. Ixin and low pan start dueling like they're playing a video game against each other. And, What's interesting is like I'm watching this and you're seeing Lopan or James Hong do the little button mashing kind of gesture as he's yeah. projecting his own warrior to fight Egg Shen's warrior. But at the time, like what beat em ups are actually in the arcades right now? They're in a place fittingly called the Great Arcade. And I, I learned right. through research it's called an arcade because there's a lot of arches. That's where the name just comes from. It just so happens to be like another formative experience, probably for you too, of going to oh, yeah. a, uh, yeah, a, a video game arcade and just pumping the quarters into TMNT and <laughs> X-Men and Street Fighter 2 and Mortal Kombat. Oh, yeah. Maybe the random racing game. This, um, this is a, a, a scene when they start shooting the magic at each other. That yes. always like stuck in my head. So when I talked earlier about like there are certain parts of this movie that just always stuck in my mind. Like this was one of them, and I, I do find his face while he's got his pinkies crossed and those big, gross, long fingernails, and he's like moving his his thumbs back and forth, and he's got that really menacing face on. I do kind of find that whole thing kind of disconcerting, um, <laughs> and and I found it to be kind of scary when I was a little kid. Um, but this whole thing is, is I remember as a kid, not quite knowing what to make of it. I was like, wait, what's going on there shooting magic at each other. And then inside the magic are silhouettes of warriors that are sort of slow fake fighting each other, (laughs) you know? Um, and, uh, but it's, I don't know. It's also cool. Like it also just sort of works here and it adds to the whole mysticism and craziness of the scene that in the middle of this massive battle Royale, we have two kind of wizards of their craft fighting with their magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I, I love it. I think it's, it's very cool. And the effects hold up, you know, it, 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 yeah. looks, it looks pretty neat. It gives me some strong, like star Wars vibes, like the lightsabers pushing against each other or, mm-hmm. Uh, or when, you know, when he's, uh, what's his name is shooting the, the lightning, you know, um, I don't know. Palpatine. Palpatine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I get, I get those strong vibes there from, from this. Yeah. There's, there's definitely, there's a, there's the scene in revenge of the Sith episode three, where Yoda and Palpatine are doing pretty much this, like Palpatine's shooting lightning mm. and Yoda's catching it and then he fires it back at him. That's a back. Matt. Back. <laughs> 
um, <laughs> kind of reminds me of. But even though this is just like projected scene, I just there's like a lot of power I feel like in what they're doing, uh, especially when they hit each other the last time and just explodes and basically ends the fight mm-hmm. between these two kind of spirit warriors. I, I feel like there's just so much control there's so much power i feel like there's a lot of story involved in this kind of like this side story that's been going on this side conflict or rivalry between eggshen and lopan that's been going on for who knows how long we know lopan's been around for thousands of years who's to say that eggshen hasn't been around for thousands of years in some form or another he even calls him uh he even says something like peasant magic right right yeah, this and this is a real true homage to like the old style kung fu movies, mm-hmm. um, you know, where where all the warriors had like mystical or magical elements to it, and you can see that the warriors in in that silhouette are all dressed in the traditional um, fighting gear of that you know ancient time, not ancient, but you know um, that that olden time of of the kind of gave those Kung Fu movies their inspiration. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I think it's a very cool thing to have in the, in the middle of this. It also kind of slows our fight scene down for a moment, which in terms of filmmaking, I think is effective because we've had so many fast cuts and lots of things happening. And then here we just slow down for a minute and we see these two masters kind of battling with their magic for a moment. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, that that's a pretty, pretty great addition to this whole battle royale. Yeah. Just kind of people standing back and letting them have their moment. Yeah. Uh, and seeing how that plays out because at this point, right. Lopan has done the thing. Lopan is, is flesh flesh. He's, he's drawn the blood. He's uh, if I'm to read the beginning of the wedding scene here uh, at one point, he, I believe cuts himself to see if he's bleeding, which he is. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, Thunder even says later on, like, you're flesh. I think that's what he says. Master, mm. you're flesh. Master, you are flesh. Uh, and yeah, so so the stakes stakes are achieved. The stakes are pretty high. They couldn't be any higher because uh, according to legend, according to Bo Pan, he, he's supposed to be some kind of all-powerful living man now, not some man who lives between worlds. Not to shift gears too much here, but uh, do it. I love that um, Egg Shen just takes out lightning with a fan. Yes, <laughs> that is fantastic. Uh, I think that's the next part. Am I am I jumping ahead? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I guess we'll talk more about that then. But um, I, I was just Egg. I think Egg Shen is just one of the most fun characters uh, in, yeah. this, in this movie. He's got all sorts of like fun ways that he fights. And uh, we'll talk about the metal fan here in a minute. I jumped ahead, but... Uh, oh, no, I lo- love Egg Shen. I mean, the, he starts off the movie with that kind of added-on intro where they kind of have to set the stage and remind you that, yeah, yeah, Jack Burton is the hero, Americans, don't worry. <laughs> right, um, right. <laughs> but, like, his his true introduction is him just kind of driving a tour bus all over San Francisco and... Yes, yes. N- not doing the best job of it, just kind of, like, kind of <laughs> hanging on for dear life, basically, as he drives his own bus around. So it's, it's kind of this bumbling guy in the beginning, and then by here, you're seeing, oh, like, he has so much skill. He has uh, so much confidence in his abilities, and he's just, right, his his stats are maxed out, like, in terms of, you know, channeling the spirits, in, in terms of, like, magical accessories and, uh, like, 
power up items and right. bombs and rockets. <laughs> like this this guy came this guy came to came to play. This guy came to win. His eyes all like one of his eyes is always like kind of closed. <laughs> yeah, I think he has some kind of partial facial paralysis I was reading about. Oh, I didn't, so that's I, that's his real face there, Jeff. I thought that was a choice. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Either way it works. <laughs> <laughs> It works. It works. All right. The only other thing to, to talk about there is Jack strapping a knife to his boot and stabbing yeah. that warrior, which is, I, I feel like, one of the only sort of borderline gory parts of the fight because um, it's kind of shown. Uh, they don't show blood or anything, but it is sort of shown in real time, that knife like going into the warrior kind of slowly as Jack pushes his boot up. Always kind of oh. makes me wince a little bit. And the guy grunts too. He's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like that's that man just died. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of that gruesome scene in uh, Saving Private Ryan. Oh God, I did. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Favorite, one of my least favorite scenes of all time. Do not make me watch that. Please. Uh, no, I won't. I will not make you watch that scene. <laughs> Let's have fun on this podcast. <laughs> <coughs> Seriously. Oh. Um. All right. Well. Um. Do we have other things to talk about in that section? Before we move on to the next section. Yeah, something came up about Kung Fu, uh, the origins of Kung Fu. I don't remember where I found this, somewhere. Uh, but somewhere somebody said that Kung Fu was coming about in the 11th, 12th century. Oh, I think, that, was this John Carpenter? Yeah, the, I was just about to say, I think John Carpenter talks about this on the commentary. Yeah. So, so take that with a grain of salt, but also know that John Carpenter like respects the heck out of uh, his source material. Truly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he was saying Kung Fu came about because Northern invaders, this is in China who are larger and let's be honest, like better equipped yeah. would invade the Southern farmlands and take the crops and the farmers in retaliation would have to develop fighting styles using their hands or feet, anything they could get their hands on like their farm tools, tools. Like, yeah. Farm tools, sickles, rakes, sticks, hatchets, uh, and like one of the, I thought hatchets was an interesting one I saw on there because one of the kind of slang terms for these people who fight for the tong are hatchet men. Mm. And sometimes they're carrying hatchets. Sometimes they're carrying like these sickle like weapons. It's not always just swords and knives. It's things that you might find on a farm, like a, a, a pitchfork or a, a sickle. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so John Carpenter is really trying to to pay tribute to this uh, classic um, genre of film, you know, that was so important to Chinese culture. And, you know, really, as soon as they started making films, kung fu movies began to be made. I think the earliest ones go all the way back to the 20s and 30s. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of them use all these same themes like you just mentioned. So, um yeah, it really is a homage, a tribute to uh, to that uh, style of film. This is just a tribute. It's just a tribute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, um, do you want to talk for a moment? I found this fascinating that Dennis Dunn was not the first choice to play Wang Chi. Yeah, the first choice was Jackie Chan. Yeah, uh, wow. John Carpenter was saying, but the producer, Lawrence Gordon, uh, who, hey, also produced Predator. Mm. Uh, it was highly against it, fearing Chan's English wasn't good enough after seeing his performances and Battle Creek Brawl and The Protector. Um, but it says Chan declined and Dennis Dunn was cast instead. Uh, 
but Dennis Dunn, even though he wasn't this highly trained martial artist, like the stunt people, like a lot of the Wing Kong and Chang Sing we see, uh, he was pretty much a natural is what James Liu was saying in this interview, because yeah. he had this background in dancing, this background in theater. Um, he was able to keep his balance really well and uh, trained just all the time with the sword, especially. And I thought he was just such a solid choice and a really solid lead for this movie. Like his like slight, um, whatever his slight, uh, body type like really allows him I feel like to 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 be like the wind like he says in the movie um, and if you have someone like Jackie Chan it's maybe harder to see kind of that transformation um, Jackie Chan maybe is almost too good to be that kind of lead because yeah. I think what Dennis Dunn does really good is he transforms once he takes the six demon bag or the five demon bag, I think, or six demon bag. I can't remember what it is. He takes that kind of special potion and he's able to all of a sudden fly through the air sword fight and run up an archway. I, th- I thought he was really good. And it's, it's a shame that we didn't see him like really blow up after this movie. Right. Right. And you know, they're right. Like Jackie Chan's English was not great at that mm-hmm. time. And uh, he was still, you know, being dubbed for, you know, the English releases of those movies. Um, it wasn't really until the nineties that he um, started actually speaking English in his films, but it, uh, man, I can only just kind of wonder and, and think about what that would have been like. Cause I'm such a fan of Jackie Chan. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine he could, he could have brought uh, s- some, pretty amazing martial arts on his end to the movie, but you're right. Like maybe he would have been too good. Cause, cause part of the appeal here is that Dennis Dunn feels like an everyman, And then all of a sudden, like you said, he kind of transforms into this great warrior. Um, and it's hard to see anybody else in that role now. Yeah. Yeah. He, he really is fantastic. Like he's, I, I don't know why he did not get more play after this. Well, I guess the movie wasn't really a success. So maybe that yeah, had something that to do sense. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. And, and honestly, I think there's something to John Carpenter giving uh, so much voice and so much screen time to these Asian actors who just didn't have it much mm-hmm. before, like another Hollywood productions. And I think Hollywood just kind of just when went the same way they always go, which is like whitewashing everything. Right. Unfortunately. Right. So, uh, they're not really changing to adapt. If this movie had blown up, uh, then absolutely you'd probably see a slightly different Hollywood. I would, I would argue. Mm. Yeah, that would have been good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're going on and on here. We should get to part three so that our podcast isn't four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's finish out this battle royale. In, in part three, we have. Uh, uh, Lo Pan and Miao Yin descend, and lightning shoots. Our character lightning shoots lightning at Egg, who reflects it back via his shiny fan, as I mentioned earlier, um, and knocks lightning down. Jack frees himself from under the dead warrior. Uh, the number one Chang Sing, played by James Liu, takes out Al Leon as Lo Pan, Miao, and Thunder ride the escalator up out of the arcade. Egg throws a magic bomb, which misses. Lightning fires more lightning at the skull-shaped exit, collapsing the skull. Wang then kills the flying rain, and Rain's body lands in the hole made earlier in the giant statue. (laughs) Our character, Lightning, exits via Lightning. Wang exits via the escalator and skull exit. 
Gracie scares Jack. Jack's, or Gracie says, it's me, Gracie. Jack says, you all right? Gracie says, never mind, we got to get Lopan. Jack says, where is he? She points to the exiting Wang, and Jack yells, Wang, come on. Jack and Gracie try to open the elevator that all the good guys came down in earlier. Jack uh, says, pull it apart, come on. Egg then throws a magic bomb that destroys the giant statue, and the Chinese wild man, or crazy-looking monster, grabs Jack as he is watching, then Gracie kicks the monster in the nuts. <laughs> Jack and Gracie exit via the now-open elevator. Oh. <laughs> A lot happened in there, too. Chinese wild man's got nards! <laughs> Chinese wild man's got nards! <laughs> oh, man. And by, by the way, by the way, just to put that out there, the Chinese wild man is the official name one of the official names i'm not throwing that out there as like a uh whatchamacallit an epithet or anything like your that. own like, description yeah no that there's a whole wikipedia on the chinese wild man otherwise known as chinese book bigfoot or the yaren hmm. yeah. yeah that's a whole interesting piece to this uh that feels sort of thrown in there and never really explained but um no yeah. that, that's that's the beauty of the movie like you were saying like it's just straightforward it's not wasting time like exploring other things that don't need to be explored uh and yeah there's just love that kind of stuff like probably people you know lay awake at night and think like what was that bigfoot creature in (laughs) little china like what was going to happen at the end like where'd he come from what was his motivation he kind of worked for lopan because at one point he kidnaps and chains up gracie law but like (laughs) We never see anybody talking to him. We see him kicked in the nuts. And right. That's, it. that's about it. Yeah. Who the heck is he? So we get a really great in this section. Uh, we see some kind of big action set pieces here in, in all their glory. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked a bit about the three storms, uh, but one of my favorite little sequences here is we see the character lightning using his lightning power and shoots it at the big kind of skull i don't know what you call it skull entrance or whatnot that's that's mm-hmm. up on the uh, on the wall there and we we didn't talk about it much earlier but i mentioned that the special effects are pretty good and i mean we're talking 86 here and i still i watched this movie um in its full blue blu-ray restoration and those lightning strikes i still feel like looked pretty great mm-hmm. um they, it holds up. It, it looks realistic while they're doing it. And and in that particular scene, you really see him. I love the way he kind of curls his arm in his hands and swirls them around and then sort of shoots that lightning. And we yeah. see it swirl up all over the, the skull, the giant skull, as it then starts to crumble. So it, that's another one of those just great little moments that has seared itself into my head that I always mm-hmm. think of when I think of this movie. I agree. I, I love the... Uh pageantry and the showmanship that lightning displays throughout yeah, the entire movie yeah, that's a good way to put it i, I think the one criticism i would have is <laughs> he never actually shoots anybody with lightning <laughs> <laughs> all this lightning and he's like kind of dancing around like look right. at this look at this look at this i spelled i spelled your name in lightning <laughs> like i'm well, writing lightning he color. tried to shoot it at uh, at egg but yes. egg, egg deflected with his shiny fan so you know maybe that's why maybe because he like knows okay like 
I really have to be careful because I was, at, you know, I've been burned before or shocked before. <laughs> right. You know, like anybody could just kind of have a, a shiny reflective fan, you know, in their back pocket. I, I'm not going to not gonna mess with that. But yeah, I absolutely love that little, oh, just like the, the impishness of Egg Shen, just total, it just plays a kind of like a troublemaker, like a little rascal, like, ha, ha, like you're trying to shock me with lightning. I'm going to shock you back. <laughs> That's what I like about it so much is it, it it is it feels a little tongue in cheek. He just throws that little fan up. You know this this warrior has this superpower. He can create lightning, and he takes him down by just waving a little fan at him. <laughs> it's just great. So the other thing that uh, we didn't talk a whole lot about before. I don't know if you want to bring it up now, but uh, we didn't talk a lot about the uh, the jumping sword fight that sure. was that was happening. And and I know we we kind of are past that part, but. Um, I, I think maybe I'm realizing right now we should maybe just touch on that for a moment before we wrap things up with this section. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you a little bit about technically, but the inspiration kind of escapes me. Um, I'll we'll go the inspiration here in a second, but uh, technically the way they're pulling it off, um, well, in the beginning it's all air ramps, it's all air ramps and crash pads where they're just launching the people in the air, you know, side by side for the most part, or some cases like crisscross, which must right. take just just take like an enormous amount of planning and making sure you're not hurting someone because there's apparently no major injuries reported after uh, the shoot, which is amazing. Um, but the way they film the close-ups is they're just, the guys are just laying on their sides and clearly being rear projected or their backgrounds being rear projected as they uh, fight with the swords. Yeah. So they had the background running and then the guys were still on, on platforms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Just, just laying down on, on platforms, not even moving and just the backgrounds are running behind them. And I I think it's just so like ballet, like just so dance, like the way they're fighting with the swords, because it's not like they're just trying to pound into each other. There's like, there's, I don't know, some, some dancing, some dodging going on side by side in midair. It's just really nice to look at. It's, it's like watching synchronized dancing. I'm a big fan of synchronized dancing. <laughs> yeah. And like to see like, I love what they're doing with the hand. Like the non-sword hand is, is, I don't know what it's doing. If you, if, if you've, right. Think, think to when they're going side by side, they're trying to strike each other. It almost seems like their other hand is like behind their back, like they're doing it, you know, and I that which kind of adds to that kind of ballet or synchronized feeling, right? Like mm-hmm. the elegance of it, I think is really fun. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I was just, yeah. Like you're saying the elegance, like I was saying the ballet like movements, um, John Carpenter in the commentary is talking about his inspiration. For one, he says the whole movie is inspired by, where did I write that down? Way back when, Zoo, that's Z-U, Warriors of the Magic Mountain. And then he mentions this particular sword fight where they're jumping through the air fighting. Oh my gosh, I'm watching it right now. <laughs> yeah, it's like one, like the non-sword hand is like, they're holding up two fingers and like the that and that second hand, I don't know what it's supposed to be doing. Maybe it's just kind of like, I don't know, kind of like helping guide the sword or guide yeah. the fight. But he's John Carpenter kind of mumbles his words and he says there's this Taiwanese film that inspired this sword fight called Swords of Fame or was it Swords of Fate or Swords of Faith? I couldn't mm. quite hear it and I could not find anything about it. Um, so I kept trying to change the wording to see if that's what it was um, and I couldn't find anything. I don't know if you could 
hear that in the uh, commentary. No, I didn't catch it, but um, I, I think that just that style, you know, it was really made uh, kind of aware to the broad American audience, I think, with like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, mm-hmm. right? When we saw that very elegant but also magical style of fighting where they're balancing and floating and flying through the air and having these very majestic sword fights. Um, and so I think there's an element of that that we're seeing here where, you know, people are flying and, and almost floating across the, the, the sky as they kind of coordinatedly fight each other. And, and again, it just sort of throwing that in there along with all the other regular fighting that's happening just adds that level of mysticism and, and fantasy adventure that, that makes this whole thing so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, sadly it does come to an end with rain, our first of these storm deaths. Yes. Dying. Yes. Just, take, just taking a, a sword, uh, <laughs> a thrown sword to the gut. I think I, it's hard to tell where, where does it hit him? Yeah. And this is great because they do that like close up thing of the sword as it's flying through the air. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we see uh, Wang throws his sword right back at him. And I, you don't ever actually see the sword hit him, but then they just cut to a wide shot and you see him fly into, is that the, uh, what is he, does he fly into the skull? What does he fly into? Uh, uh, it's the Buddhist statue. Oh yeah. With the big hole in it from earlier. And you see his boots all throughout through the end of the scene when even past when Eggshen is throwing magic bombs at it. You see his boots sticking out, which is oh, just that's awesome. hilarious. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, think, I think Rain might represent like the the first death of a, of a major character in this movie. Yeah. So Rain gets it and then they cut to lightning and uh, lightning just looks up and uses his lightning to leave. <laughs> yeah. Peace out. He sees that and he's gone. <laughs> time to exit stage stage top well doesn't he does he blow up the skull after before no yeah he, he blew it up already yeah it was before that he was just causing some chaos and then he sees his buddy get it and he just pieces out now yeah. is this is this a goof because he i thought blew up the skull exit entrance escalator and then Wang just runs right through it yeah um i i, I just saw that too i'm not sure maybe might be a little bit of a continuity goof there. Yeah. 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 Still impressive. That mm-hmm. lightning. It really, it really puts on a good show, even if it doesn't maybe blow something up or shock anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now throughout all of this, we haven't talked about Kim Cattrall very much, Mm-mm. but she shows up here at the, near the end of the sequence. She's been snapped out of her little trance and we finally get to hear her and Jack chat to each other. Um, I've always enjoyed their their chemistry in this movie, um, and I, I've, I I like Kim Cattrall. I think she's a fun, a great comedic actress. Um, so it's fun here at the very end that we we get to have this quick little conversation between the two of them, and uh, she's not at all interested in in him. She, she immediately wants to, you know, he says, are you all right? And she immediately says, "Never mind. We got to go get low pan. So she is uh, staying focused to the task at hand here. Yeah. She's locked in too. She's like egg shin, like low pan must die. That's, that's like everybody's <laughs> motto by this point. Like, right. right. <laughs> um, yeah. So then they, they exit and we, uh, we get one last encounter with the bad guy 
that just uh, has to be... Uh, oh, well, first we get uh, Egg throws one more magic bomb to destroy the giant statue. Can't skip Yeah, that. he destroys it. I believe this is done on the last day of shooting on this particular set. Um, I think John Carpenter maybe mumbled that a little bit. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, that makes sense, like, to destroy this. Um, and James Liu, in his interview, like, mentioned, like, what better way to... Or maybe it was Josh Horowitz. I don't remember. One of those two during the interview mentioned, like, what better way to really <laughs> send a set out in style? Like, this is a humongous, you know, 20, 30 feet tall statue. And why not blow it up as opposed to dismantling it and then throwing it in the garbage? Yeah. And this is another one, like, little scene that I think holds up because they pull the camera back and they just do a wide shot of it as it falls apart. <clears throat> and you can tell that that's really what's happening. And I love that sort of controlled chaos where. You know, we're going to blow this thing up. We can't tell you exactly where all the pieces are going to fall, but it's going to be awesome. So they just, you know, put the explosives in there and see what happens. It's kind of how you feel, like what it feels like when you watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I have, to, I have to think like in Egg's mind, like this is, it's somehow symbolizing destroying something of Lopan's or it's like some element of Lopan, even though Lopan technically escaped right here they're destroying maybe something that symbolized him or symbolized his power in the, in the underworld here. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, take, take everything down, take everything down that, uh, represents low pan. And so we get the really awesome kind of final explosion there of the, uh, of the skull. And then our last little bit of the sequence is the, the Chinese, uh, what's it called? The Chinese, uh, monster, um, Chinese wild man. Chinese wild man. Thank you. It's so funny as a wild man. Yeah. Chinese wild man reemerges. Uh, and so you think there's going to be another big fight here. But we, again, we get a little piece of comedy that Kim Cattrall just, um, she she kicks him from behind, but clearly she's aiming that high heel right at his nutsack. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, lucky that he's not the kind of Bigfoot that's like into that. So he goes down, <laughs> he's out. <laughs> it's like, Thank God he's anatomically correct. To, yeah. I don't know our specifications. Chinese wild man has nards. <laughs> Chinese wild man has nards. <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah. And that, yeah. Just he, he shows up for this brief second and then he's out. You might. Oh, my God. Just watch that again. Sorry. Even a Chinese wild man getting it in the nards like still makes me wince. You know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Universal guy thing. Like, yeah. oh, like you get that little feeling in your stomach, even though you haven't been kicked. Oh, oh. <laughs> I feel you, buddy. I feel you. I feel you. Kurt Russell just maybe like pats him on the on the shoulder like hey, that's right. <laughs> Actually, Kurt Russell shoves him down and picks up his knife that he dropped when Chinese wild men grabbed him by the shoulders earlier. Right, right. Well, John. I mean that's 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 kind of it, right? For the yeah, for yeah. the scene. I mean, once they blow it up and all the main characters uh leave except for Egg. Yeah, I think I think we did it. Yeah, yeah, I think we did it. Now we're gonna have our our next uh, new segment, uh, which is what was your favorite part of the scene? Oh man, I came up with this segment and then I couldn't <laughs> really tell you. Uh, Do you want me to go first? I know mine. Yeah, why don't you go first? All right, my favorite part of the scene is near the beginning when Kurt Russell gets hit in the head with the concrete. <laughs> That is a good one. Um, there's lots of better action sequences and stuff, but I love, I mentioned, uh, like I said earlier, I just love how that is a snapshot of his character in this movie. And uh, I think it plays 
uh, incredibly well every single time I see it. So I'm, I'm going to go with that. Okay. Yeah. Man, there's, there's a lot of good parts of this scene. I there mean, really is. I guess, that's, I guess that's why I chose it because it's right so solid throughout. I, I think if I have to pick out a place, um, I guess the, the thing I'm most excited when I'm talking about it was that kind of spirit fight between um, Eggshin and Lopan. And not just because it's like reminding me of Star Wars. Of course it is. And there's an earlier scene that really reminds me of Star Wars in the movie. Uh, Lopan says something along the lines of like, oh, Egg Shen is here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I, I feel like that was in Star Wars where he's like, Obi-Wan is here. And, like, I haven't felt this presence since. Right, right. Anyway, uh, but but the bigger part of that and something that like always pulls me in more to a story is knowing that there is a bigger story out there or there's a bigger conflict that's been going on right. outside of just the main characters we've seen. Uh, just like with their little tiny exchange of peasant magic of you never could beat me, Eggshin, that tells me like so much in just like so few words that I immediately want to know more. I immediately want to know more backstory. I want to know kind of like maybe is there some thousands of year old history thousands of years old history that we don't know about that I'd want to know. I'd want to know about past conflicts, past run-ins between these two characters. Mm. Uh, just something in the middle of this action scene that is really unexpected. And, and that is like deepening these characters. And you don't normally have that from a, a fight scene where people are just kicking each other in the face, stabbing each other in the shoulders, blowing each other up with bombs. Like, Oh my gosh, now I'm even learning like there's a history between these two and I want to know more. So that's my favorite part of the scene. Nice. Excellent choice. I like, I love that part too. Very nice. All right. Well, uh, to kind of wrap things up here, we, we talked about the other uh, the top 10 grossing movies of um, 1986. This Uh-oh. was not one of the top 10 grossing films. In fact, this was a certified, certified uh, bomb at the time. So the budget on this film was somewhere between 19 and 25 million, according to Wikipedia. The box office uh, poll was only 11.1 million. Ooh. 71st place in 1986. 71st. Uh, but uh, like many movies of this era, it caught wind um, with the home video market. And um, within a few years, after playing on cable and HBO and uh, home video rentals became very much a cult classic. Um, you mentioned the top 10 that year, some other notable 1986 movies. This was a great year for movies. Mm-hmm. The ones that jump out to me here. Let's see. You got uh, <laughs> Cobra, <laughs> Poltergeist yep. 2, Invaders from Mars, Raw Deal, Pretty in Pink, Karate Kid 2, Labyrinth, Running Scared, uh, Maximum Overdrive, Flight of the Navigator, Friday the 13th Part 6, Howard the Duck, uh, The Fly, Manhunter, Stand By Me, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, uh, Three Amigos, and Little Shop of Horrors, among many, many others. I don't I don't think I mentioned Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but that was rounding out the top 10. Oh, I missed along that with one. Ruthless people, along with Ruthless People, I know that one has a... I know Ferris Bueller has a, a, a strong... Uh, look back or a strong yeah it's still popular to this day yeah i do love ferris bueller yeah um okay so um another bomb for john carpenter there sorry buddy yeah yeah all right so our reoccurring segment on this podcast is 
Is this movie better than Predator? Predator wins. <laughs> John, I'm going to let you go first. Is it better than Predator? Oh, man, this is a lot tougher for me than T2. I feel like T2 right, has a lot going on, and it's it was super popular, but it just didn't really strike the chord that Predator struck with me. Mm. Um, Big Trouble in Little China like just does so much that's entertaining to me, and I just... I love all the genres it's reaching for, and I like the things that it's parodying slash uh, paying tribute to because it's doing it properly where I want to go now explore those other things that's parodying or paying tribute to. Um, so to me, it's it's really, really close. Yeah, I, I wouldn't consider Big Trouble like in my top five, but if I had a top six, it might be the number six it mm. is it is way up there for me and like you when you first saw it on netflix when it became streaming again i think i would do the same thing <laughs> all those years ago i was like big trouble in little china like i need to revisit that yeah and I, I remember watching that and then i had to right find find it on physical media so i could watch it when it went off of netflix which it did eventually yeah um so for i mean all these things that it does so so right and it's just such an entertaining romp and it's at that sweet spot of 99 minutes. I think it's really close. Mm. Um, definitely closer to me than T2 was in being better than Predator. But at the same time, I'm still going to give it to Predator for just, I don't know, I think evoking a little bit more emotion in terms of like tension and the horror elements uh, being taken a little bit more seriously uh, and also starring Arnold, which really helps yeah, yeah. <laughs> which also really helps predator well uh, yeah sorry to interrupt i was just gonna say as i mentioned last time m- most of the time during this segment i think your answer is going to be predator <laughs> and that is fully understandable because that's one of your favorite movies of all time so it's uh maybe not a, a very um exciting uh, segment in that regard but <laughs> it brings up good conversation i think um i'm sorry were you were you finished did you have anything no else I, to say? I yeah i mean yes i'm i'm finished i think predator wins but just by uh, the thinnest of butterfly knives that are stabbed into gerald okamura's shoulders <laughs> nice yeah. uh, but what about you do you think it is better than predator i i also love this movie and i have a lot of nostalgia for it um i don't know if it's quite as high up there on my list as it is for you mm-hmm. um i i think for me uh it's a pretty easy answer i think uh if i had to choose i would choose predator so i'm gonna say predator wins this round but um, that is not to take away from this movie. Um, I love this movie, and it was really, really fun to revisit it and rewatch it, especially this final scene. It's just great. Predator wins. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, it's something else we didn't really talk about much, but I don't know if you could think of like a battle royale type of scene like this in other movies. I was really struggling with ones that were just doing so many things right that starred basically all the main characters of the movie up to this point. Yeah. I'd have to, you could just tell what's happening. There's so many movies out there where they're just like, people are just goofing off in the background. Cause it's like, what do I do? And you only care about maybe one or two people in the entire fight. Yeah. I'd have to sit down and really think about it, but you're right. That's not a very common thing. So it, it it's a piece of this. That's very unique. Yeah. Well, if, I mean, maybe you'll think of something for next time. 
we'll do recommends and then we'll we'll talk about uh, my pick for our next episode. Let's do it. So what do you have to recommend, Jeff? I'm going to recommend uh, a little TV show that uh, has become um, pretty popular. It seems like I've had a lot of people recommend this TV show to me. So I finally uh, took the plunge and watched it. Um, it is called Ted Lasso. Have you watched Ted Lasso oh, yet? I have heard of Ted Lasso, yes. So I haven't I seen it, though. Kept on hearing about it, and so I finally was like, okay, I'm going to check this out. And uh, my wife and I started watching it together, and we watched the all 10 episodes, I think, in three days. <laughs> wow. Okay, it's good, then. We really, really liked it. Um, it's a very kind of wholesome, sweet story with really great writing and funny jokes. It reminds me, the tone of it reminds me a lot of, uh, like, Schitt's Creek. Kinda. Oh, so, okay. if you if you like um, sort of a a wholesome story, but also has adult jokes in it and occasionally adult language, um, it's very similar in style to Schitt's Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just a quick synopsis of the story: Ted Lasso is a uh, is a name of the show, but he's also the main character, and he is a, a football coach for I believe Wichita State, and um, he gets recruited um, by a uh, UK soccer team, a football team um, Mm. to come be their new head coach, despite the fact that he knows nothing (laughs) about uh, soccer or football, um, European football uh, at all. And so it's sort of a fish out of water story, but also Ted Lasso is like a very upbeat, positive person Mm. and um, sort of infects uh, the locker room with his positivity and the people around him. Um, and it's just got lots of funny characters and, and a good story. And, uh, it just, uh, the tone of it hit me just right. And I really, really liked it. So, uh, if you're on the fence about watching Ted Lasso, give it a shot. I think you will like it because it's very sweet and, uh, really fun. Now, is it on a streaming service or I believe it's yeah Apple TV I think yeah Apple TV okay yeah I did see a clip of him talking (laughs) talking about practice we're talking about practice not a game not a game not a game he's he's, he's telling about practice he's practice telling one guy who's complaining about practice and then the way he emphasizes the Allen Iverson rant about practice makes it seem like (laughs) practice is all of a sudden really important. I, I thought that was really funny, really well done. Right. I right. just caught that on YouTube. And <laughs> yeah. Love Sudeikis. I've always loved Sudeikis since the SNL days. Yeah. Sudeikis is great. Um, he really kind of inhabits the character and, um, you know, it's like, I'm a sucker for kind of like feel good sports stories. Mm-hmm. It's very similar in its story structure to like major league. Um, not to give okay. too much away, but, um, and uh, that's one of my favorite sports movies. So, yeah, I don't want to talk too much more about the plot because it's it's fun to just kind of discover it as it goes. But, yeah, it was really great. I enjoyed it a lot. Okay. Yeah. Neat. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. What do you have to recommend for us this week, John? Well, Sarah and I watched Hamilton on Disney Plus, ah. uh, I think, a week and a half ago. We really, really, yeah, we really enjoyed it. Um, it's Obviously, it's like kind of like an easy recommend. It's like, oh wow, <laughs> the whole world that. loves us. <laughs> right, the whole world loves us, but we never saw it, you know, in uh, as a play uh, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, uh, one being that like tickets are oh so expensive to see it um, unless you're part of like some kind of like uh, season ticket package holder. Right, right. Uh, but really, really enjoyed it. Just the way they shot it, you would think that. 
like just that concept of like watching a play as a movie would would not really work that well but apparently they did like so much work of filming the actual broadway performances but also doing like performances where they could just put the camera right on the stage and like mixing those two is seamless it is amazing just like from mm. a technical standpoint like the camera work but also obviously lin-manuel miranda coming up with all the songs and the story which is inspired by a, a biography of alexander hamilton um but just and of course he's the main star of it uh, it's just just uh, amazing piece of storytelling. Um, I'm not going to spoil too much, but <laughs> right, yeah. it's, it, it's based on uh, this guy's actual life, Alexander Hamilton, and you learn a lot about him in the musical. I didn't know it was going to be that information rich, but you learn a lot about him. You learn about all these side characters who were around, and sure, some things might be dramatized for the purpose of making it a Broadway play, but... Um, they, they really stay true and I feel like respecting a lot of these historical figures without necessarily painting them with the good brush or the bad brush everybody kind of has their moment to share like their struggles <laughs> always in song form by the way there's no spoken words in the entire musical right. which I thought was incredible uh, and then the, the big scene stealer of course is uh, Jonathan Groff as King George the third right King George the third do I have that right sounds right yeah. Uh, and he has a couple of moments where he comes on and sings almost like these breakup kind of songs, but he does it in this very great sounding uh, English accent and with like kind of the harpsichord playing in the background. It just brings so much character uh, and flair to this little tiny performance, mm. uh, so much so that I'm sure it's like one of the hits from the soundtrack, this uh, song called You'll Be Back. I'll be back. Just kind of really sticks in people's minds especially my wife my wife my wife my wife who will sing it on and on and listen to it on amazon music you say our love is draining and you can't go but yeah hamilton uh, easy recommend there you can find it now on <laughs> disney plus you don't have to pay extra money or anything like that it's well with the subscription you maybe you have just convinced me to finally watch it because i have also never seen hamilton and never saw the Ooh. play and i uh, haven't watched it on disney plus yet so maybe we'll finally pull the trigger and do it because it seems to be like a major cultural influence at this point and uh i have not seen it so i feel left out i need to take care of that mm -hmm. take care of that yeah take it is a two-night event i will say because it has an intermission and i think ah. in total it's three hours long oh wow yeah so okay. it, it works really nice to have it like watch the first half up to intermission and then you kind of process it a little bit uh, you know and then watch the second part all uh, right the next night and also have that time to look up some of the good songs like yeah. no, throwing away my shot and <laughs> you'll be back there's, oh. there's a t ton of good songs on there all right nice okay hamilton watch hamilton. it <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think it's come to the near the end of the show now where we have to reveal the next movie and scene that we discuss. You're up. Yeah. I am up. I'm going to and, I'm gonna type this live on the document. And so. now I'm understanding the pressure that you felt last time <laughs> to choose something because, boy, I went back and forth through lots of different things. But in the end, I wanted to talk about a movie that I've always wanted to talk about, and I have not heard very many podcasts uh, that do movies uh, talk about it. 
um, even though it's a, a pretty famous movie by a pretty famous person. So we are going to flash forward about a decade to around 1995, 1996, and we are going to talk about the first movie that I ever saw my beloved Jackie Chan in, and we're going to discuss Rumble in the Bronx. To millions of fans around the world, he's a living legend. If you've never seen him before... It's him! Give me that gun! You've never seen action. You got hostages! They're in a hovercraft! Call out the Coast Guard! New Line Cinema presents the action hero who does all his own stunts. Jackie Chan. Bronx. <laughs> I just started typing Rumble in the Bronx. <laughs> yeah. And I want to talk about the first major fight scene that he gets in with the gang. Okay. Can you, are there any other descriptors that would help listeners maybe catch this uh, scene along with us? Uh, well, it's the scene it's the, in Rumble in the Bronx there's a, it's the first major fight scene and it starts when he jumps up on a pool table and the kind of gang leader from jumps up on the pool table with him and they both flex their muscles at each other and then the fight ensues. Um, and it's one of my favorite Jackie Chan fights of all time and we'll talk all about it next time and I know I've once again chosen a scene that's going to be quite intricate to break down and talk about because there's going to be a lot of little pieces to it. But um, I love Jackie Chan and I have a bit of a history with him and his movies and I'm really excited to talk about it with you. All right. I found the clip and guess what? It's right around the five minute mark. <laughs> Another <laughs> oh, scene nice. that we found is right around the five minute mark. Maybe we should change it to five minute seen it all no but yeah i I did find the scene it's like kicking a guy out of a hammock a guy's pointing a gun at him oh this is great oh man it's so much fun it's so much fun so i hope uh, i don't know if that's a movie you have much of a history with or have seen very much so um if you haven't I, i think you'll enjoy watching it and uh i've seen it a bunch so i have lots i can talk about no i'm i'm totally looking forward to uh, revisiting this, I watched this one time, and like you, and probably a lot of other Americans, is my first exposure to Jackie Chan. Yeah, Rumble in the Vancouver Bronx. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Those mountains in the background are a little out of place. <laughs> Those great New York mountains. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, great choice. I am so looking forward to it. And I love, man. This is going to be probably one of my favorite parts about the podcast. It's just. Thinking about the lead up to I know. next. Oh my gosh. And now you're now you're on the chopping block. Ah damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to phone a friend for that one. We'll see. Right, right. All right. Well, uh, we need to wrap things up here. Um, John, where can people find you? Gosh, um, <laughs> this is all kind of still new, but uh, you can find the scene at all podcast on Twitter. Uh, it's at scene at all underscore. So one word and then underscore because 
the first scene law was taken and then scene law <laughs> pod was also taken. So it's like, well, I'll just put an underscore that at works. the end of scene it all. Uh, you can also email the show, seen it all podcast at gmail.com. Ah, my gosh, I ran out of air. <laughs> That's a long email. Uh, you can also email the podcast at, at, oh my gosh. Oh, I need to finish. Email the show any kind of thoughts, questions, scene suggestions. Seen it all podcast at gmail.com. That's S C E N E. Seen it all podcast at gmail.com. And we are on Facebook. You can just search the name of the podcast, Seen It All with Jeff and John, and then join the group there. Throw around some good suggestions, episode discussions, things we missed, things we just totally nailed the first time through and that we're great at. (laughs) Thank you. Always appreciate that. Uh, I don't think I ever did this ever in our recording of Predator Minute. We also created a show where we broke down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. You can find that in your podcatching feed, Predator Minute podcast. So what else was I going to say? Oh, I've never said this in Predator Minute podcast, but if you like the show, uh, go to iTunes, leave a review, leave a, oh, yeah. a good rating. You know, if you're liking the show and if you don't, you know, don't don't feel too bothered to have to go to leave a bad rating. That's fine. <laughs> I, I appreciate you stopping by and at least giving us a chance. Yeah, a, a nice rate and review does really help uh, boost the exposure of the show. So that, that would be wonderful if it's something that you are enjoying. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of uh, exposing, Jeff, where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me on the Twitter. <laughs> Uh, Carl underscore Hungus 314. You can find me, Jeff Glover, on the Twitter. My name is Carl been expert. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for this amazing, amazing scene, thank you for breaking this down for me, Jeff. I really appreciate you breaking down a scene from one of my favorite movies, Big Trouble in Little China. Mm-hmm. Uh, my pleasure. That was really, really fun. Good yeah. choice. Good choice. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and I guess uh, for all things, seen it all with Jeff and John. I've been John Zabriskie. And I've been Jeff Glover. And until next time, stick around. Stick around. Stick around. I just want my truck back. All right. Where's my truck? I'm out of here. You don't want to go back there. Isn't your truck insured? Of course it is. That's not the Then smart man gets it later. Smart man calls a cop. Cops got better things to do than get killed. Oh, yeah? So do I. <laughs> Really, really ties the whole room together. (laughs) I can't think of what else it would be tying together. (laughs) The pork chops. Oh, by the way, it's called the Pork Shop Express because he's shipping pork. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, there you go. All right, it's not a sexual innuendo. No, but that's on the front where it says Holland Ass. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Pork Shop Express. You just listen to the old pork chop express here now and take his advice on a dark and stormy night when the lightning's crashing and the thunder's rolling and the rain's coming down in sheets thick as lead. Just remember what old Jack Burton does when the earth quakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. Yeah, Jack Burton just looks that big old storm right square in the eye and he says, give me your best shot, pal. I can take it. 
You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when Bobby D says you're talking to me. You can go to the diner for a meal with Meg. You can yell at your class, stab yourself in the leg. You can upgrade your boat for when sharks attack. You can be like Arnold, tell him I'll be back. You wanna see, yeah, you wanna see, like when the xenomorph took out Harry Dean. You wanna scene yeah you wanna see like when bobby d says you're talking to me jeff and john talk scenes and quotes jeff improvises while john takes notes from mozambique to montreal you can join in the chat on scene at all you wanna see yeah you wanna see like when the xenomorph took out harry dean you wanna see yeah you wanna see like when bobby d says you're talking to me Seen it all with Jeff and John.